0: As Dave read, there we are in chapter four, verses one through eight. Um, This is Jesus' part eight, and we are going to talk tonight about one parable, the one Dave just read, and um, two more will come next week. So we're spending the next two weeks talking about the parables of Jesus um, in the the fourth chapter of Mark. Uh, Mark quickly sets the scene in verse 4, and I want to set it for you as well. Scene 1, the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it's Jesus teaching. And uh, the habit of Jesus here is that Jesus is teaching in parables and using the physical to teach the spiritual. lays out for you here in verse 1, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about Him, so that He took a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. There's the last few weeks there are thousands and thousands of people that have come from hundreds and hundreds of miles away uh, to hear Jesus talk and hear Jesus teach. And now uh, Mark is telling us about a certain time, a certain instance where Jesus was teaching by the sea and there was such a great crowd that he had to get into a boat because there were people pressing down on him too much. So that's the the physical scene of what's happening here. And uh, verse 2, it says, and he was teaching them Many things in parables, and parables in his, in his teaching, he said to them, the, the, the verse there is, is setting up what, what's happening here. Again, Mark was never really concerned or not never concerned, but not nearly as much concerned with what Jesus taught as much as how Jesus lived his life. And so Mark is trying to present Jesus as the suffering servant as showing what discipleship looked like instead of laying out all the teaching of Jesus. and this was probably an hour or two long teaching session that Jesus had. And he only brings out three parables. And we'll only look at, at one of those tonight. Um, there are 16 parables that are mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels. There are 16 parables that are mentioned. And Mark mentions only four of them. And three of them are here in this chapter. And, and one we, we talk about tonight. So, again, Jesus is more concerned with, with who Jesus was than what he taught. But we do get a chance here. And this, this one parable is about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple and how you are to be a disciple. And remember that the root word for dis- disciple, the root word of disciple is in discipline. And so in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there must be discipline in your life. And the word disciple actually means one who patterns his life around the life of another and the teachings of another. So Christ, Mark is laying out what Christ meant by discipleship and what it means to be a disciple is one who follows the life and the teaching of another. And so Mark is laying this out here. And this parable itself is about discipleship. And so this is the reason why why Mark takes this hour or two long teaching session of Jesus and boils it down and starts it with this one parable because it is the parable version of Jesus's explanation of why he's here. I'm here to disciple you, to to allow you to to follow me and be my disciples is Talking about are roadblocks that are used to derail us from becoming disciples. All the way down to, to verse nine. I don't want to as much, but more about what it was teaching. Verse nine, he and he said, after reading the parable, and Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically, those who want to be disciple, those who want to draw near to me, they're going to get it, and those who don't, aren't going to get it. So this is Jesus' telling of the, the first few parables here and, and Mark ha- has set the scene. So the, uh, the the thought is, if you really want to know, if you really want to follow Me, you're going to draw close to Me. You're going to come close to Me. And that's what this thing is all about. So, scene two comes. Mark sets the scene for the, the second scene and it's uh, found in, in verse 10. And when He was alone, those around Him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So the, the, the second scene is the teaching session is over and now Mark has gathered the, the rest of the people around him and brought them to himself. And now there's... there's And we, when we see disciples, sometimes we can get confused about what disciples means. Last week we, we saw the list of the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ. Matthew and, and James and John and Peter and Bartholomew and, and Judas and all those guys. But this here is disciples and those who are around him. So those who are really close to Jesus, those who would attach their lives to him, those who would be called disciples under the definition that that patterned their life after Jesus and that that paid attention to his teaching were gathering really close to him. These are the people that are around him, probably 25, 30 people that have have withdrawn from the the edge of the sea and probably gone up into the woods, into the wilderness. Maybe uh, Jesus took his disciples into the, uh, the Garden of Eden a lot. He probably went off to a secluded place where they knew that they would gather and he began to teach them more and more intimately. In verse 11, he says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To his disciples. And I would hope that we could all consider ourselves and call ourselves disciples. We can connect with this passage here. To us has been given the kingdom of God. The secret to the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Basically, he's teaching here that everything... It, those that are gathering around those and we, we've talked that there are thousands and thousands of people coming from hundreds of miles away to hear Jesus talk because they are sensationalists and they want to see what's going on he, they've heard that he's healing people and and they've got ailments they want to get healed they've they've heard that he, he's teaching with authority and challenging the scribes and the 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 big time strong religious leaders and they've heard of the people the the biggest religious leaders of the day from jerusalem have come down to to challenge him and so people have come around him to to get along with the popularity and the sensationalist that's happening here. But Jesus is, is teaching them in parables because if you aren't willing to lay down your life and aren't willing to, to come alongside of it and truly be discipled by Him, He's gonna, you're gonna be confused by what He's got to say. But Jesus says here in verse 10 that to those who have drawn near, you have the kingdom of God. You have the secret. And those who haven't, don't have. Everything else is in parables. He wants in verse 12, this is a quote directly from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus quotes the Old Testament scriptures. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus has given you the keys. And he is investing in a few people for the purpose of spreading his message. And everybody else isn't going to understand. They're not going to get it. He's basically saying, you have to, to be near me. You have to see me and hear from me to get it. But there are dangers in this world that will keep you from fully understanding what these keys are, what these things are, what's happening in this world. There are dangers that keep us from that. And I want to spend the rest of our time and most of our time talking about that. The explanation that Jesus gives that block us, that derail us from true discipleship. So... You've probably heard this parable before, and you've probably even studied this parable before. But the heart of this parable is Jesus teaching what it means to be discipled. What it the definition of discipleship. For our time together, we will we'll look at what it means to be discipled. And he uses the Jesus is always using the the physical to teach the spiritual. And tonight, um, I want to use uh some props here. Um the couple of, uh, early this week, I think, or maybe, I think it was last weekend, actually, um, I got together, um, every, every year at the end of, uh, winter, early spring, I, I, I rake, uh, my, my garden, the, the, bed in front of the house, and lay down mulch, and, and, lay down some weed killer, and, and try and prepare the soil for these spring flowers that pop up, and it looks really cool, and really, uh, and it's, it's a, a great time for me, cause I get to do stuff with my hands, and, and uh, Jen really likes it, so that's a that's a good thing. Um, and so, but we've got this mole issue in our in our uh, in our front yard. There's little tracks all over, and every time I walk out, it's the day, so I could. Um, find something to kill moles with. And this is what the guy said was the best thing. Look, it, it's really cool. Kill moles. I, I, I was like, my eyes were drawn to that. It said, kill moles. I'm like, me up. I want to kill me a mole. And it's kind of, uh, it, these, these are poison peanuts. So don't, uh, if this is like childproof here, so I want to keep it away from you guys. Don't eat these poison peanuts. Um, basically, the the point is, this is... Uh, a point here, and you you shove this, if my hand is the dirt, you shove it down into the ground into his hole where he's, kind of you can see where he's burrowed in, and it's popped the soil up, and you wind up with a hole about that big, and then you unscrew it, and you pour some of these, these poisoned peanuts into the hole, and then you, you smash it together, and hopefully the little mole comes walking by, and he eats the peanuts, and, and he, he dies there. Um, so, I was excited because down, uh, it was several days, and there there were no like things that had popped up, and so I, I thought maybe he did eat the peanuts, and he was dead, and he was going to quit coming. He would burrow under, like we've got bricks around the outside of our our flower bed in the front. He was in the grass, and he would burrow under and come up and eat the bulbs that were supposed to pop up, and the the tulips would never come up. And so we decided to use this, and maybe it would kill it. And so the the, the holes kept coming up, so I thought I, I got him, right? Very excited. But then uh, like late last week, more new stuff came up. So I either killed the first one and there's a second one, or this, this next one's coming up. Either way, this guy has eaten all of our tulips because everything else in our, our flower bed has popped up except the tulips along the front. So this mole has eaten our tulips. And this is what Jesus is talking about. There is enemy. My enemy is this Stupid mole, Jesus says, are in verse fifteen, and there are the, these are the ones that these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, and Satan, the mole, Satan is a mole, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And I, I want to, I want to pause for a second because I, I feel like it. Um, I don't want to discount anything here. I don't. I don't want to want us to think about a, a little furry animal that might be considered to be cute and, and to relate him with with Satan. Uh, because the the heart of of what Jesus is teaching here is that we have an enemy, and he's very real, and he's very alive, um, and he's. His focus and His task is to take the the Word away from you so that it cannot plant, cannot root, cannot germinate in your life. The, the whole point of what Jesus is teaching here is that there is a Word that I want to speak to you that will bring fruit in your life. And there's an enemy, a very real enemy. Just like for me, it's, it's silly, and it, but it, it paints the illustration. There is an enemy that lurks beneath the surface that wants to steal the Word that Christ wants to germinate in my life. There is a mold, it it's lurks beneath the surface, it wants to eat the stuff, the fruit that's going to pop up, the flowers that are going to pop up, and he wants to, to eat it, wants to take it away. And this is what, what Christ is teaching, and we have to, to be fully and completely aware of this. Um, last week, at the end of the message, um, as we kind of led into response time, I prayed um, and uh, you might you might have remarked on it last week if you were here, but it, I was uh, I had a I had a really really hard attacked filled week the week before last, and uh, I had there was a there's a a blog called the Resurgence, and I, I go to this blog a lot. It's a, the Mark Driscoll kind of coordinates and, and writes a lot for this blog, and he talked about there's a. Uh, a nightline ABC special where, where he and, and uh, three other people, one other on a Christian and two other non-Christians that were uh, arguing about the existence of Satan. And uh, so I was, I was really interested because it was an ABC nightline deal and, and most of the time they get if, if they have any kind of Christianity focus there, they get some kind of whack job that's going to go and, and make Christianity look like a whack job but this time Driscoll was on there and so I was excited. So I, I, I listened, I got up, went to abc.com and looked at it and, and watched in the, the argument and, and the, the debate that happened. And as I was sitting there, I, the overwhelming sense to me was that I was blaming inadequacies of myself, which were, were part of the reasons why the, the attack was happening. But at the heart of it, I realized that, that this is... We have a very real, very present very lurking enemy that wants to attack our lives. And Driscoll was arguing with these two atheists about it and, and in the midst of that I stopped and I prayed and I asked God to to, to help me to be aware of the presence of this force. And there's, there's turmoil, there's crap that's in your life and there's a very real, very present, very lurking enemy that wants to steal the word of God that God wants to plant into your life wants to take away discipleship from you so that the fruit of that discipleship cannot be present and cannot show up in your life. And it's real and it's there. And in the midst of that, I, I stopped and I prayed. and I, I got a chance uh, to go up to uh, last, last night, I went, it was Friday night actually, to Indianapolis to watch uh, a couple of basketball games, watch Michigan State and Kansas play and then Louisville and Arizona play. And uh, it was actually Eric's boss got us the tickets. He's a Michigan State alum, and so it was exciting to to go up there. And I don't believe, I don't I don't know much about this guy, uh, but he said to me, I don't even remember the context of it, but he said, uh, you know, if you're not getting flack, you're probably not over the target. I mean, remember the context of what he was talking about. But that statement just rung into my head in light of what was happening in my life. If you're not over the target, or if you're not getting flack, you're probably not over the target. And I sat there, and I don't remember anything that was said for the next 20 minutes, because I was in the midst of getting flack. And courage just overwhelmed me, because I believe I'm over the target. And I believe that that God has got something big, and and He's moving us as a body. I'm really glad that it's just family tonight. And because God is, is moving us, and there is, we are over the targeting God is is moving me to shake us from our comfort and move and attack this place in this area in this city for His name and for His renown and to show the 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 awesomeness and the fruit that can come from your life when you connect with who He is and what He wants to 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 allow fruit to come up in your life. And there is a, a, an enemy that's been present in my life for the last ten days, and I've enjoyed probably the last. 48 hours of of experiencing the freshness of renewed relationship with a whole lot of people. There's still more to come and, and more that needs to happen. But I can I have experienced the attack of Satan. I've experienced the power, the the supernatural power of our Savior that has come upon. But that's not it. That's not the only thing. The second thing here is. Uh, In verse 16 and 17. He says this. These are the ones that are sown on the rocky, the hard ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. This is, he's talking about Hard, and the word that Christ wants to bring into our lives, we don't receive it because our hearts are hard with pride, confidence. I want to show. Um, in this movie, the Robin Williams is a psychiatrist, and he's talking to uh, Matt Damon, and and Matt Damon is this proud, strong, cocky kid who doesn't allow anything to to seep into his life because he thinks he knows everything there is to know about life. And uh, Robin Williams comes to grips with it. And and this, go for it, Dave. He says, you can tell me everything there is to know about Michelangelo, but you've never truly experienced what it looks like to sit in the Sistine Chapel and look up at that beautiful ceiling that Michelangelo... Painted and, and see and experience all that it is, and the the point of, of what he's talking about here is that we need to our ground their pride bitterness things happen to us that don't allow us to 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 allow that experience that relationship that word of God to penetrate and and attack our hearts and our lives. Um, this rake is the only thing to that this is the the. The second thing that I did in in the flower bed the the winter time had come and and caused the ground to get really hard and we uh, as, as the fall ends we gather all the leaves and, and put a, a bed of leaves around so it can keep the ground to, to be at least a little bit soft and kind of keep it from being overly frozen through the winter time and so I, I used a, a regular rake and get all those leaves out of the way and then it's a really hard ground that that isn't chopped up at all so I have to take this this hard metal rake and really Dig in and, and pull the ground, and dig in and pull the ground. It to get you know a couple of inches deep, so that the the soil that's on the bottom, which is good soil that hasn't been frozen all, all winter long, can kind of get up to the bottom, and, and I mix it all in, so that the soil can can accept the the stuff that I'll have for it later, and can accept the word that's here, and and the 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 plant. This is what Christ is talking about here: the hard ground. I want to I want to read verses 16 and 17. These are the ones that are sown on the rocky hard ground. The ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. It doesn't allow itself to get deep because the ground is hard and they have no root in themselves. But when but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. The the last few days, few weeks of my life where I was talking about the attacks that came into my heart and into my life, uh, with, without the the root of the word that had attacked my heart for, for many years, I may have been sent away or, or may have spent a lot of time uh, spiraling into my oh God, what's, what's going If you could see and read my journal for the last two weeks, you see a lot of, a lot of darkness, a lot of, man, this really sucks, a lot of, man, what in the world am I doing here? What is the point? But the, the root that had taken deep and taken hold deeply bared fruit in the last few days and I was able to to rely upon that. But I want to talk specifically about causes that I see for us to have rocky ground that don't allow the Word to penetrate into our lives. And the first one is pride. We are strong and self-assured people. I'm a strong self-assured people. Sometimes when I come to a text, I read it and I think, yeah, I got that. That's cool. And move on. And that's a hard ground. That is what of the last clip that, that we showed, is that there's we don't experience God to His fullness. And pride keeps us from that. And we, we are glad to expose ourselves to the world or to the Word, but we stop short of allowing it to saturate into who we are, to the depth of who we, to the good soil. And the second one, uh, and this is the, the, the thing that, that I found myself, I, I, accuse myself of, is bitterness. Um, because of our opinion of the tool that Jesus happens to use to, to, the, the rake that he happens to use to, to, to dig up the soil, there's a lot of times, anything that comes out of most Christian bookstores, I don't like. Anything you hear on Christian radio, I don't like. I don't pay any attention to. Anything that, that comes out of mass, global, western Christianity, I don't pay attention to. Anybody who, who walks in with a, uh, a t-shirt on that says Facebook and looks like Facebook, anything that that person has to say to me, I'm not going to pay any attention to. You cannot speak to me, it's, and it, at the heart of it is, is bitterness. You guys are laughing, and, and it's it's funny because it's a ridiculous T-shirt, but at the heart of it is bitterness in my heart, because I think you're dumb for wearing that T-shirt. I'm not going to allow God to speak to me through your life. That's the heart of, of, of what's in my mind and what's in my heart. And as a as a church planner who's been burned and disparaged and and knocked down by the established church, by a particular established church. I have bitterness in my heart towards them. And because of that, all the people that are connected with, with a particular church or the established church in general, I will not allow God to use them to penetrate my heart with His Word. That's bitterness, and it's sin, and it's gross. And I think that part of the reason that, that we all connect with each other here is probably we all have that same bitterness in our hearts. Because if we, have, uh, we go into a church service and there's an organ and there's a choir... And there's a preacher in a in a suit. We're gonna, not really sure. I'm gonna let you talk to me today. And that's sin. God can use those tools. And and there's a bitterness in our hearts. And and I hope that this is attacking your heart. And, and like it's convicted me all week long as I've wrestled with what it means to be bitterness towards other people. There are many other person out person. Possibilities here for to, to have your ground be rocky for you to not allow God to use particular tools. Family is a is a is a perfect illustration. So many of us have family that have hurt us. Many of us have family that damaged us. We won't allow God to use those people to penetrate our lives to speak truth into our lives. God, we have shut the door on that person to speak into our lives. Parents, brothers, sisters, other relatives—we won't allow them. There's all kinds of friends, particular churches, churches, uh, bookstores, radio, certain bands. Like the, whenever I, I see somebody talking about their their favorite band is Casting Crowns or something, I, I immediately think they, those are just about selling records. They don't. There's nothing there. But at the heart of it, God can use all of that stuff, and I want us to to come to grips with the fact that we need to allow God to use any tool that He chooses and, and have our souls be raked up and have soil that's available to be used. The third is found in verses 18 and 19. It says this, And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This stuff right here is called and uh, I highly recommend it if you guys are have any kind of flower bed at all. This stuff is really cool. Basically what you do after you use this rake and you, you get the soil turned up a little bit and you you've gone down about two or three inches, um You take this stuff and you uh well here. I swear I opened it and used it. There it is. You take this stuff and you take a scoop of it and it kinda pours out the bottom there. You see there's holes in the bottom of the scoop. And it just kinda pours out and you throw it all over your uh all over your garden, right? It's this is what it looks like right here. This this little stuff. And you just drop it all over your flower bed and um and then you rake it back up together. And if you do it right, if you do it well, it makes, and it works, then no weeds come up in your flower bed all summer long. We'll see if it works. Um, last year, I didn't do it, and we have those trees in our front yard that drop those little, uh, little helicopter things, and those are, those are seeds. And when they get into your ground, they pop up little tree looking weed deals. And, uh, in probably a few months, the, my flower bed and my front yard will be filled with these things. And little weeds just pop up, sprout up all over the place. And it's, it makes me angry. But last year, I didn't put this stuff in. Uh, this year, I put a whole lot of it in. Probably put too much of it in. Um, may, that might be the reason the tulip didn't come in. I got all this stuff in there. Uh, but the point is, there, we, there are... Here in verses 17 and 18, we see how being distracted by the world, we can seeds the thorns that come up, and fruit isn't allowed to come up. Um, I, I used a, an illustration with the, my favorite movie, and here is my favorite quote ever um, it's from *The Weight of Glory*. It says this: "Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward." and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons I think I was under such attack last week, because I was really vulnerable, because all of my life last week was about basketball, or the, the previous week. I wanted to, to get rid of the responsibilities of my kids, I wanted to get rid of the responsibility of this church. I want to get rid of all responsibilities so that I could watch basketball 24 7. And there's nothing wrong with basketball. Aren't you glad, Kyle? Uh, but there is something wrong with distraction taking the place of God. And our world is filled with. Distractions, things that in and of themselves can be good. But distract us from allowing the Word to germinate, to take root in our lives and bear fruit. And we are a middle class, white, young church that has distraction everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere our jobs, our spouses, our lives, our extracurricular activities, our church, can distract us from God. All of those things are great in and of themselves. But I want to this is a call that, that I've placed in my heart and in my life for for the next foreseeable future. I don't want to put an end date on it. And I want to call every one of us to it. Where we take a day of the week, a time, at least a portion of that day, for a time period of a day every week where it's consistent. Like every Monday at lunch, every Tuesday at midnight, every Wednesday morning, one day throughout the week, every week, where we take a time to fast from something. From radio, from TV, from work, from lunch, from something, and use that time to this a spiritual discipline. Have this book, this is the only copy of this book I can get my hands on. on. We'll have more next week out. Um, we've had, uh, with Christ in the School of Prayer and, and, uh, Master Plan of Evangelism that we've sold you guys for a, a cheap price, and you can buy it. I'm, we're going to give copies of this away, but only if you're really going to read it and use it. This is uh, a book called Spiritual for the Christian Life, uh, written by a guy named Don Whitney. Um, this was a seminary book of mine, and I want to read uh, a little excerpt from it, from it for you from the end of it. Uh, the spiritual disciplines, and remember, we talked at the beginning about what this disciplines were. A disciple is one who patterns his life after the teachings and ways of another. And the root of discipline is disciple. So the spiritual disciplines, if you want to be discipled, you will practice these things. The spiritual disciplines aren't intended only for Christians who have a lot of spare time on their hands. They are the God-given means, the spiritual disciplines, are the God-given means by which busy believers become like Christ. And the whole point of the Gospel of Mark is to help you become. Help us to understand and do and become more like Christ. Go back to the book. They are the God-given means by which busy believers become like Christ. God offers His life, His life-changing grace to taxi-driving, errand-running moms, to hard-working, over-committed dads, to homework-heavy, extracurricular busy students, to schedule-packed singles, to responsibility overloaded parents in short to every believer and he offers them through the spiritual disciplines i am calling rick i am calling every one of us to fast throughout a particular day for at least a time period of a particular day and maybe if if you really want to throw yourself into it maybe it's a fast for a whole day maybe it's a fast for a whole week from something from radio from television even from from all these things aren't bad in and of themselves. And don't hear me attacking radio. Don't hear me attacking TV and any of those things or or activities that you do. But when they distract you from the Word of God, when they distract you, when they make your soil hard, when they make your soil not allowed to, to, big, to dig deep, when they make you be distracted by the world, they become sin, they become wrong. And I'm calling each of us to a fact for... I'm not saying we're going to do it for the next month, for the next 2 months, for the next 6 years. Somewhere God will tell you how that's going to work, but fast from something. Every one of us time we can take out of our day. We can wake up in the morning by our habit in the morning every morning, every day through the week. Goes like this. We wake up, I go into the to the to the kitchen, get the kids going. I make them breakfast while Jen sits and does email and does eBay stuff. And then I get I go from breakfast to making lunches, and then when lunches are made, I get my turn at the computer. And I check email, and I check sports, and I check what happened the night before. And Jen goes and gets the kids ready for school, and then uh, she gets their teeth brushed, and she gets their clothes on. And then we go and walk out the door. For us, a very simple way would be Jen doesn't take that time to email. I don't take that time to check email. We take that time to engage and connect with God. That's an easy, simple, fact. There's nothing wrong with email or eBay or sports or any of that stuff. But there is when it disallows us to connect God at the start of the day. Lunch. Maybe, guys at your at your work, you go out and you have lunch. Take one day a week where you don't do that. Where you go have lunch by yourself. You go sit in your car and read the Word. You go sit in, in your car and read that book, Spiritual Discipline. You go do something. Connect with God. You go sit in your car and just pray. You go sit in your car and do something. There are so many different ways that we can have to connect with God. And If we are serious about what God has in store for us, if we are over the target, like I think we're over the target, we better be doing this, or God will attack your marriage, God will attack your family, or, I'm sorry, Satan will attack your marriage, Satan will attack your life, Satan will attack your job, Satan will attack these things and try to steal them away from you. Just like all this stuff is talking about, Jesus is using the physical. We can connect with the whole garden illustration and all that stuff. What God is... Is Jesus is saying here in the Gospel of Mark and, and all these things we can connect with but the heart of it is there's a very real, very present enemy that wants to distract you, wants to put pride and bitterness in your heart and wants to steal the fruit that God wants to give you through his word. And if we are serious if we really understand that, if you really believe that God is moving us towards a target, if you believe that we are open to target like I think we are, then we better be doing this or there is going to be some serious hardship in our lives. We have to allow this Word to come into us. Then fourth, and lastly, the fourth instance is here, where I want us to get to. Verse 20. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. In this time, in this age, tenfold was a great crop. Every farmer in this age was begging for tenfold. Here, Christ is promising thirtyfold, three times what is good. Sixtyfold, six times what is good. One hundredfold, one hundred times what is good. It's fantastic. This is supernatural yield from the Word's penetration into our hearts. God promises. When we seek God, when we Prepare our hearts, prepare the soil of our lives in such a profound way. God promises reward that are supernatural, beyond anything could come of, of anything of ourselves, beyond it. It is supernatural. That's what He promises and He allows. This fruit. For me, this past week, it's hope and endurance in a trial in a difficult time. It's freedom from sin. It's allowing a selfish heart to choose God instead of choosing self. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, and and don't allow the, your, the, the hardness of your heart towards what you think those words mean. Allow them, these words, love. Truly love. That's the fruit that comes from the word joy. Being happy on steroids, profound joy, profound happiness in your life. This is what comes from allowing this word to penetrate your soul and your heart. Peace. Oh, for for peace in a time of war. Patience. As a bunch of small kids, I am completely impatient. God affords it, allows us 30, 60, 100 times what is normal. And I want to close tonight with a reiteration of the stuff that we have made available to you. The, the purpose of... One of the purposes of North Church as a body, as a group, is to provide you with tools like this to get, keep Satan away, to keep the enemy away from stealing and robbing your joy. Like this, to keep you from being distracted by the world. Like this, to, to rake the, the the bitterness and the pride in your life, to rape it, to rake it up, to get it away. To prepare our soil. These are the tools that we have given to you to prepare your soil, to allow this Word to take root in your life. Prayer. Next week, we're going to be in this room. We're going to get to cry out to God and offer up our lives and beg of Him to come and enrich our lives. Preparing our soil. In a second in response time, Mike and Rachel are going to be in the back. And very seldom... The people ever even go back there. And and use the tool that God has given us to prepare our hearts, to, to use the the rape, to keep us from being distracted, to, to fight the enemy. These are tools that God has provided you with in this place, that you've chosen to, to share your life with in this this journey with with these group of people. Community groups. We get a chance to to share hardship, to, to wrestle with, with the stuff that I bring to us, to talk about it, to, to come together with it, to, to, to rejoice at the birth of a child together, to to provide meals for people with, at the birth of a child together, to to pray for each other, community groups. This is a given to us. Books. That's the, the, the purpose that I'm, I'm bringing all these books. And these are things that have impacted and affected my life and go along with our study and the stuff that are here. We... Stuff to you, another tool to prepare the soil. The study guide that, that you guys have is is a, a great way to, to fast with that study guide. Take that study guide with you and, and look through the stuff that we've talked about. Men's and women's ministry, and, and even our uh, Saturday morning got a chance to eat straight of of men's ministry and the women's ministry, the point of it is to come together, give you a tool to prepare your soil. And then the the last thing that, that I thought of, and we, probably many more, is is the website. Rachel does a fantastic job keeping that thing up to date. And there are so many resources that are there, uh, online books that are there, uh, articles that are there, websites that, that show up there that we can go to and we can connect with. All of these are, are meant so that we can Prepare our hearts and prepare our soil because at the heart of it are the, the natural influence of ourselves, of our lives, to choose ourselves and to keep our soil hard, keep our soil rocky, keep our soil filled with weeds. And we have to be diligent and disciplined to be disciples of Jesus so that our hearts can be ready and our soil can be ready to accept the Word of God Let's